Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Martha Quinn. The musical continue nonstop on MTV Music Television. Welcome to the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast. It's a great honor this morning here on the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast to be speaking with original MTV VJ, actress, so much more. You know her, Martha Quinn. Martha, welcome to the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast. Hey, Gary. Thank you. It's such an honor. I've been reading Chartbeat for years and years and years. Really? You're a chart fan. I didn't even know that. Oh, yes. Um... Who was the guy who did it originally a long, long time ago? Paul somebody? Paul Grine. He was actually uh, the first guest on the podcast a few weeks ago here. No way. You're in good company. I I was actually going to say Paul Grine, but at the last minute I, like, panicked (laughs) that maybe that wasn't right, so I pulled back, but now I wish I said it. Well, that's awesome. What an honor to um, be here. Oh, yes, I've always been. I started out my love of radio really started back in the 70s, listening to Casey Kasem. So I was always into, you know, I was almost like a, I think there's a whole bunch of us that are sort of music statisticians. Like if we were at the football game, we would have the pocket protectors and the pencils. (laughs) Like we're not in the band, but we're total, but we're total statisticians and we love to see how it all plays out we say chart geeks i think statisticians yeah, okay, sounds sounds, mu- sounds much better but well, <laughs> if, if, of course you're knowledgeable uh, martha everyone knows you you know everything about music so of course you would know about the charts <laughs> well, well it's really great to be talking to you well absolutely uh, thank you so much for coming on um you're on the phone with us this morning uh from la i'm in billboard's new york offices and uh, we're going to talk about so much, your uh, early days at MTV, your career there, um, some of your uh, acting uh, experience as well. But uh, the main reason we're talking to you now is because you have, uh, among your many jobs, a brand new job in San Francisco. I am so totally psyched. I have, uh, I'm going to be doing mornings on iHeart 80s in San Francisco, 103.7 FM, KOSF. It's such an honor to be tapped to be part of the iHeart brand and to be doing, you know, on the flagship terrestrial 80s station is so exciting. I'm really psyched. You know, as I was saying to you before, starting out 
loving radio, listening to Casey Kasem, and kind of always being a radio geek, chart geek. I always love listening to DJs. Like, for example, the station that aired Casey Kasem, I'm going to say it was WPIX. I really would wager anything. And there was a DJ on there named Mark Simone, who I've always like wondered, whatever happened to Mark Simone? Because I used to love listening to him. And I saw him on the ra- on TV just the other day doing like political commentary or oh. something. But I was like, I know that's the guy. I know that's the same guy. So <laughs> I'm very psyched to be joining um, an illustrious group of, of terrestrial radio DJs, and it's just going to be really fun. They put together an amazing team up in San Francisco. My producer is going to be Christy James, who's a Bay Area fixture. Afternoons are going to be Morris Knight, who's another Bay Area music scene fixture. So it's really a great lineup. Yeah, I've read that the iHeart 80s channel on iHeart Media and iHeart Radio is is one of the most popular channels. So it, it seemed like it was just a matter of time before it made its way to a, terrest- a terrestrial signal. Well, I would have to agree with you. And what I think happened was between seeing that the iHeart 80s channel on the app was so hugely successful, and then when we did the show in Los Angeles, the iHeart 80s concert in Los Angeles, you know, they were thinking, okay, we're going to sell, I'm making up the, n- the numbers, so let's just say 5,000 seats. They sold instantly. They're like, uh, okay, open up more. Right. Sold instantly. Open The entire forum, they were, finally they were like, okay, fine, open them all up. The entire forum sold out in minutes, and everybody's head was spinning like, wow, this is this is definitely a confluence of rad happening here. <laughs> so um, I think they just all said, okay, let's uh, let's make this happen. Let's let's take this let's take this to the streets. And I was really lucky because I actually just call, got called to host the concert, and I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds like a fun gig. So I was. Definitely um, in the right place at the right time when I ran into Bob Pittman backstage, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is great. So, you know, reconnecting, and I'm, it's just so funny because, you know, Bob gave me my first job of on course. MTV. Right. And now he's, at, now he's running the show at iHeart. Yeah. So it's funny how it all works out. So you didn't have to give him your resume. He was familiar with your background. Yeah. yeah. He, made, he wrote my resume. <laughs> And this was uh, this was in February. It was uh, iHeart's first ever iHeart '80s party. I'm, I'm looking at the lineup: it was Tears for Fears, Culture Club, Billy Idol, Missing Persons, Rick Springfield, Loverboy, and and other acts. Right? It was all. Everybody was so good. Everybody was just fantastic. I mean, and it was interesting because I think a lot of these artists, like I don't think Billy Idol had ever seen Tears for Fears. Oh. Or Rick Springfield had ever, I think he's toured with Loverboy, but same thing. I don't think he's ever seen Billy Idol. And, you know, to see them, and both of them have written, like, really great books, and they were comparing books. And it was just very interesting to see the whole spectrum together of 80s artists who are just, you know, sort of united as all remembering that they were part of the video era. And it was, it was just really cool. It's kind of like a class reunion. Let me ask you, because who knows better than you, why do people love 80s music so much? What is it about that era of music that people it just seem to really want to go back to? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of answers to that question, and I ask myself that all the time, because I find it so interesting. 
And for one thing, I think that it's feel-good music. Like, I have to tell you, I knew that that concert, I was not worried in any way. I knew that that concert was going to be an amazing time because I've never had an 80s event. I've hosted a bunch of 80s concerts, and I've never been to an 80s concert where it wasn't filled with good vibes. Right. And people, you know, 80s fans just want to have fun, if I might say. <laughs> and it's always, it's always feel-good music and, you know, poison, nothing but a good time. Cindy Lauper, it's just really upbeat, feel-good music. And if you think about it, Gary, when have we ever had such an expressive decade? I mean, think about what Twisted Sister looked like back in the day. <laughs> Not when they went tough, you know? But, I mean, they were always tough, but when they had the full-on eye makeup, lipstick. I mean, it's kind of nutty if you think about it now, but it was so expressive. You look back at Poison's first album, the amount of just creative expression that was going on in their visual look. And what we forget is that's how Bret Michaels would go, you know, to Gil Turner's liquor store to get some beer. <laughs> that wasn't just a costume. That's how everybody looked. You know, hair was up to here, shoulder pads, day glow colors. It was such an expressive era. Think about what Cindy Lauper um, wardrobe-wise right. she was wearing. Madonna wardrobe-wise. It was just a very colorful artistic expression. I feel now, but maybe this is because I'm a mom and I'm in a different generation. I feel now like creative expression is more about wearing less and less, especially for females. And I feel like it's less artistic. You could say the same thing about music, too. I, I think what was so cool mm, about 80s music is, is it was such a... It was a melodic era, and I feel like there are cycles in music history. I feel like it changes every decade or so. I feel like the 60s were really poppy with the Beatles and, and all the all the bubblegum pop. And then the 70s went uh, to extremes of rock and disco. The 80s brought that back to the middle. The 90s, again, went uh, more rap and, and grunge and hip-hop. And then the 2000s and the 2010s, we've gone back again to really melodic pop. Although I, I think one main difference is that music is now, uh, for the most part, hip-hop music crafted by teams of songwriters. And in the 80s, you were still in an era where it was very individual expression. It was Michael Jackson writing his own hits. It was a lot of George Michael, a lot of people writing their own music. And maybe we had that individual artistic expression a little bit more, which kind of sounds like what you're saying. That is, so let me understand what you're saying. So you feel like, for example, the 70s was extreme, 80s melodic, right. 90s extreme, 2000s. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Melodic? Yes. That is really interesting. I, do you, I hope you don't mind if the next interview you see of mine. I am fully going to... <laughs> feel that because that's so interesting it just well you know i've, I've read that too people have written about music it just it's it, there are cycles to music history and you know the singer songwriters came along in the 70s but at the same time you had you had all these new forms of dance and then i just think it always goes back to that common ground melodic music and i don't know that any decade uh really epitomize that better than the 80s i just think if, if you're trying to find a time that had the best catchiest most fun uh, pop melodies it's the 80s love it i gotta listen to this podcast back so that was great i totally agree with you i totally agree and i think it was very very expressive um i think it's really i just think it's so fascinating Wardrobe-wise, too. Right. I mean, style-wise, like if you flip through a flip book of decades, you see pretty much every decade has their version of jeans and a T-shirt, pretty much. Then you hit the 80s, and it's like, what's happening here? It's like, think about Striper in their black and yellow spandex outfits. Right. It's like everybody was like in some sort of spandex superhero outfit. And again, I go back to, and this wasn't just for the album cover. This was how they would, you know, be, be shopping at Rock and Roll Ralph's on Doheny and Melrose. It's just like, it's so interesting that that's what it was for everybody in the 80s. You know, you know the, the big hair, the big shoulder pads, the bright colors. It just was a really, you know, full tilt decade and i often wonder if it wasn't because politically we were very very frightened we were frightened um you know everybody you know um mother do you think they'll drop the bomb you know that you know party like it's 1999 it's all about hey you know we could all die any day it's like we were kind of living on the edge maybe out of an inner subconscious hysterical joie de vie. You keep mentioning, you, you like the rock bands. You, those were your guys, huh? Well, I'm definitely a rocker chick. I'm from Austin, New York. <laughs> I am a rocker chick. I'm from Westchester County. You know, it was like, you know, I'm an earth, wind, and fire girl, as you have, you know, as everybody from Westchester was. You know, I'm a, everybody was grew up with basically earth, wind, and fire, Black Sabbath, Foreigner, you know, those were those were our, you know, peeps. I was, went to high school in the late '70s, so I'm definitely uh, a rocker girl. It's true. Well, we'll get into uh, MTV because I want to ask you about just how that started. That's maybe one thing we we don't 
always uh, know. We, we remember watching you on MTV, but I, I want to get into some of the backstory. But before that, Martha, I just want to ask, um, radio nowadays, uh, streaming has become the platform for younger consumers. What do you feel uh, about the power of terrestrial radio? You're, you're starting this new job on uh, KOSF, 103.7 FM, hosting mornings on the new uh, All 80 station. What's your take on the power of radio in 2016? Radio has stayed remarkably consistent. The percentage of people who tune into terrestrial radio has stayed remarkably consistent. Um, services like Spotify, Pandora, they're kind of like in the old days we had our our cassette cases or our stacks of 45s, there are collections, but when people want to find out what's happening with the community, terrestrial radio is still the go-to service. And with technology today, we have it all available. I mean, iHeart 80s is on 103.7 FM in San Francisco. Tune in. We're part of the community. But guess what? If you download the iHeart app, you can have 103.7 iHeart 80s on your phone. You can listen to it in New York. You can listen to it in Oklahoma. You can listen to it in California. I'm so excited because I can tell my family all across the country, in Wisconsin, in Minneapolis, every, they're like, oh, my gosh, you're going to be doing mornings in San Francisco. How are we going to hear you? Get the app. Right. Download the iHeart 80s. Download the iHeart app and pull it right up, and it's going to be there. And so it's it's really interesting because we can have the best of both worlds. I think it's interesting. I, I feel like there's some irony. Maybe people have made this sort of joke with you before, but you're an original MTV VJ. MTV, of course, started with video killed the radio star, and now you're a radio star. Do, do you see the irony <laughs> in that, Martha? Yeah, I, I love that, actually. It's, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's actually funny because I heard up in, you know, in San Francisco we, we did the launch on on Monday and people were saying to me, oh, I couldn't believe that it was happening. I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't turn it off. I was waiting, you know, is this really happening? Is it really all 80s? You know, what's the next song going to be? What's the next song going to be? Oh, they can't really mean it's going to be literally all 80s. But in fact, it is all 80s. And people are saying I couldn't turn it off. And I said, that's so funny because that's so similar to how MTV launched. People would tune in and see these videos and be like, okay, that, this is just a short little show. Surely this is just a half-hour show. Surely this is just an hour show. Surely this is just a two-hour show. I mean, Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo were in, in a hotel in, like, Indianapolis, and they just flipped it on. Because I guess, I can't remember now if they knew that their video was going to be on. I guess maybe they did. But they um, were watching, and they were like, they, they couldn't believe it. And I heard 80s in San Francisco, 1037 is so similar. So it's, it's kind of interesting to have seen this happen twice. And the common denominator, I must give a shout out, is Bob Pittman. Right. So he started MTV back in 1981. I, I wanted to ask how you got the gig. I've, I've read a little bit. You were interning at WNBC. Was that when Howard Stern was there? Or was he... I, did was, you guys there just, I was there just before... Howard, and just after Bob Pittman, I was there during the Kevin Matheny era. Um, I was an intern at WNBC my senior year of college, and I 
Do you know who Bert Stein is? He used to work for A&M Records. He might have gone over to Gold Mountain. I've lost track of him, but for years and years and years, I've followed him because he happened to be in from California up in the WNBC offices. And this was back in the day when, you know, you'd go up to the radio station and say, hey, you guys got to play this record. You guys got to play that record. You know, we've got a new police record. No, it'll work for you. It'll work for you. And he was visiting with Buzz Brindle, the music director, I mean, the assistant program director, and Roz Frank, the music director, and Kevin Matheny. And I, meanwhile, had woken up in the morning and gone to my my job at Weinstein Dormitory at NYU, where I gave out toilet paper and light bulbs (laughs) to the likes of the future mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, Rick Rubin. Um, We're all Weinstein residents. And uh, Tim Summer, music writer in New York. So I was going home, and it was, there was a lot of traffic, and I thought, oh, I'll just whip up to you know my old peeps at WNBC and hang around until traffic dies down. And I walk in, and Bert Stein's there, and Buzz is there, and Roz is there. And Bert Stein said, hey, what's Bob Pittman doing? And Buzz Brindle said, oh, he's, you know, he's starting this new thing. It's this... Uh, you know, music, cable thing, and he looks at me and he says, Martha, that's what you should do. You should be a VJ on MTV. Buzz Brindle said that. And I was like, what's that? And he said, oh, it's like being on the radio, but on TV. Now, at that time, videos were not a factor. Radio on TV, what that said was WKRP in Cincinnati. (laughs) That was what was on everybody's mind. So I said, oh, what do I do during the records? And he said, I'm thinking, okay, they're filming me sitting at a turntable. The record starts, then what? And he goes, no, no, it's videos. And I said, oh, I don't know. You know who would be so much better? Evan Davies, who's now on WFMU. And uh, he says, no, you should do it. He calls Bob Pittman. And he says, this girl, she used to be our intern. Pittman says, Send her down. It's the last day of auditions. Now, I'm in the outfit that I wore to give out toilet paper to Bill de Blasio and Rick Rubin. And um, Buzz says, get in the cab. Go down there. So uh, I did. I took a cab. I went down there. And I was pretty familiar with auditions. I got myself through college doing television commercials. Oh, okay, right. So, So it's not like I was unfamiliar with the idea of putting on a little lipstick for an audition, but I wasn't had no auditions booked that day so I walked in no makeup just kind of walked in they were like what uh who are you and I'm like I don't know Bob Pittman said for me to come down here I'm Martha Quinn is this what is this and so I I went in and auditioned and it's so good that I didn't know a thing about it I'd never I had no idea that what this was um because I probably would have been really nervous right you were able just to be yourself Yeah, I just did not even care. But by the time I walked off, when I started to see the set, I started to see the format. Okay, they're talking about music. They asked me to talk about a recent concert that I had been to, which, of course, was Earth, Wind, and Fire because I'm from Westchester. Um, So um, by the time I walked out and sort of figured out what was happening, I called my brother and I said, oh, my God, I just auditioned for I think the perfect job for me and then I started to go into a panic like oh my god 
I really want that job. That would be amazing. What a what a what a cool thing. And um, you know, I'm so honored and lucky that two days later they called me and offered me the job. What was the feeling when MTV went live? Did you know at that point that you would change pop culture? Did it take a while to, to start to feel it any kind of impact? Really, ex- it was so exciting. You know, it's it's funny. You know, going back to iHeart '80s, it was it was really exciting, and there were so many people there who were were involved behind the scenes of putting together the iHeart '80s, you know, concept for for 103.7 that. They were so elated that it was finally on the air and finally happening, and that's what it was like. I was very new the night of the launch. I was there just a couple of weeks, and for me, it was super exciting. But there are people who had been behind the scenes, like Bob Pittman, putting together MTV for upwards of two years. Right. So it was really exciting. Did we know? No, we did not know. We hoped, but we didn't know, but we were definitely rebels with a cause. We really hoped that it would go. I was watching a clip from 1991 when you were hosting a 10th anniversary uh, uh, special on MTV, and you said the line, I didn't know this, that MTV started with 130 videos, and actually 35 of them, you wouldn't probably guess this, were from Rod Stewart. I was like the Rod Stewart channel. It's so funny because, you know, so many people didn't make videos. I remember so many of them saying, oh, we don't need, we don't need to do that. We don't, you know... Uh, Bruce Springsteen had never... I actually ran into Bruce Springsteen at Stanley's Steakhouse. Is that still... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Wally's Steakhouse on, like, 45th Street in the theater district. I was there with my parents. MTV had just gone on the air. And Bruce Springsteen walks in. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys. That's Bruce Springsteen. And my dad says, who? And I say, Dad, he was just on the cover of Time Magazine. And Bruce Springsteen leans over. This is the ultimate moment. This is when you feel so good in front of your parents. Bruce Springsteen leaned over to me and said, Hey, aren't you on that new thing, MTV? Because MTV was on in New Jersey before we were on in Manhattan. Ah. And, and he's like, Yeah, I see you on that MTV. And I said, I must say quite quickly, I said, well, that's more than I can say for you. When are you going to make some videos? So I like to think that I'm kind of responsible for launching Bruce into the video age because, as you know, he then made all those great videos for the Born in the USA album, which I kind of like to take credit for. And Courtney Cox as well. We can credit uh, you for her career as well, though. Exactly, exactly. But there were so many large artists, you know, the newer artists, the Stray Cats, the Human League, they were doing them not only for Top of the Pops over in Europe, but they were doing them because they, you know, any promotion was great for them. But the established artists, you know, the Rolling Stones, the Bob Dylans, the Bruce Springsteens, I remember so many of them being, saying, oh, no, we don't need to do that. But then with the Infidels album, Bob Dylan came aboard, and, you know, slowly, slowly everybody came aboard. Well, you're talking earlier about how fashion just exploded and went into all these creative, uh, new, uh, uncharted waters in the '80s. And we're talking about why. I, maybe you're too humble to say so, Martha. But that became the video era. So suddenly, the visual element was so much a bigger part of music and pop culture. So maybe that's what we should be saying is the reason that uh, we all had so much fun with with looks uh, in, in the '80s because we were watching on video for the first time. Well. 
I think that that's a really good point, and it's so interesting about that initial era, the original, you know, the MTV generation, what we think of as the classic MTV generation, that era has become so beloved. And I think, for one thing, MTV was national. We hadn't had a national music platform before. Everything was very localized. Radio was very localized. So this was the first time music tapes were national. And in a lot of ways, this was a blessing. If you were, you know, an indie kid in South Dakota, and you finally see, and you see Culture Club, you go, oh my gosh, there's people out there that are like me. It was very uplifting and empowering to so many people to see to see people like me are out there in the world, and I'm connected now to the to the indie community in Texas, and I'm connected to the indie community in Florida, and it was very it was very unifying. And that period of time, you know, you can go on YouTube and see clips from that era, and I do think that there's a real love for that period of time that I think is also why the um, iHeart 80s format is so popular, why the iHeart80s app is the most popular app, is, I'm sorry, the most popular channel on the iHeart app. It's like people just love that era. People feel very fondly towards that era. Do you have any favorite, um, I mean, you must have so many memories of artists who came in, with, you know, David Bowie, Prince, Michael Jackson, any any absolute icons, uh, interviews you remember doing that uh, really stand out? Well, probably, I mean, there, there are so many great interviews. I mean, David Lee Roth was absolutely one of my favorites. When I first interviewed David Lee Roth, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one to break him. I'm going to, not break him in a bad way, but I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to get to the real Dave. I'm going to get to the real Dave. And if you watch that interview that I did, it's kind of funny because he's like pulling out his best Davisms. He must have been thinking, oh my God, who did they put me with? Because first of all, I, you know, looked like I was 13. And second of all, he's like, you know, bada bing, bada boom, bada bing, bada boom. And you cut to me and I'm just sitting there like kind of stone-faced and it's like I was like no I'm not gonna let him do his you know bling on me but um little did I I realize because when you're young you don't realize that it's okay to let Dave be Dave and that's the best part about him is his fast-talking witticisms but I didn't I didn't catch that yet at that time but um Dave is always the greatest he's the best person to interview ever and it was wonderful to interview Paul McCartney and to fly to London and interview Bob Dylan Bob Dylan backstage at Wembley Arena was just that was probably the pinnacle of my is this really happening moment you know, what's interesting is uh, videos uh basically overnight became so huge sort of uh, defined 80s music and then as MTV starts to pull back on videos uh, continuing so through the 90s to the point where uh, they just really weren't even uh, the M in MTV became the joke at that point videos weren't on the same level of prominence but then YouTube comes along in the mid 2000s 
suddenly videos are back maybe bigger than ever. It's kind of interesting to see that MTV uh, rode that wave at the beginning. Videos really uh, didn't have that same level. And now they're back at that level. How do you, how do you feel about uh, the importance of uh, music videos today in terms of artists and, and hip development? Well, people always say to me, oh, I wish we had the old MTV back. I'll, I'll answer your question in two parts. People ask, you know, oh, I wish we had the old MTV back. And I always say, even if MTV was exactly the same, 24-7 videos, VJs, that's it, no reality shows, just 24-7 videos, it still wouldn't be Warrant and Winger and Debbie Gibson and New Order. It still, it, you, it still would be different. You'd still be watching MTV and going, what is this? This isn't my MTV. You know, this is all, who, who are these new kids in my MTV? So I think that people would still have that feeling. I think for our era, video as an artistic musical expression was part of sort of a new emerging technology and it was exciting and unique to kids it was something that just we had our parents didn't know what a 24-hour video music channel was it was it was just for that youth era same youtube maybe videos are something we're now all used to but the idea of having them on youtube just for that generation that was something new so it's a new technology it seems like there's always some sort of new technology that comes along to reinvigorate the youth market. As you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, the streaming phenomenon is something that's current. That's also, that's new. There's always some sort of new package around the presentation of music, but the key element is the music. And you talk about the internet, you kind of were the internet before the internet existed because MTV was your source for videos and music and news. This was the source. So again, it just really comes back to the impact uh, that you had, Martha, and and all the other VJs. And also, you weren't weren't only uh, introducing music and interviewing artists. You were taking on the topics like uh, AIDS in the mid-80s and, and race, and, and there was some real substance in, in addition to all the entertainment. Yeah, I mean, MTV was definitely, you're so right, MTV was like the Internet of the 80s. We were the source for all kinds of news and pop culture awareness and youth awareness, the whole rock the vote um, sort of political, sociopolitical consciousness or awareness came about towards, you know, mid to later 80s. We started out purely music-driven. Um, so it's just been a very interesting, a very interesting evolution. Back to the thing about, you know, people saying, oh, we wish we had, you know, RMTV back, and me saying, yeah, well, it still wouldn't be Madonna and Michael Jackson and Dexy's Midnight Runners. And I'm like, that's why you need iHeart 80s. That's, we're, we're bringing that back. We'll, we'll take care of you. Don't worry. Here's the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. I got to ask you well, one more thing, Martha, but before we go. And this is, I'm going to guess, this is... Uh, a part of your career that, that people may not ask about, but I always remember it, uh, early 1990s for a brief time, you were a Brady. You were a part of the Brady Bunch. I am a Brady. <laughs> I don't even say were. I'm part of the family 
Florence is my mother-in-law. I can't tell you how many people would literally see my husband, my actual husband, and I on the street and look at me kind of confused and look at my husband and look at me and look at my husband and look at me and say, that's not Bobby Brady. And I'm like, okay, y'all know that that's not a documentary, right? <laughs> that that's what I have to pretend. But that was such, that was like, oh, my God, that was the best thing ever. I had such a good time being on the Bradys. I mean, marrying Bobby Brady, come on. Yeah. How does it get? And uh, I was also on Star Search. So I have to say I was part of three very big um, American institutions, right. MTV, the Bradys, Star Search, yeah, for people who, who don't remember or are too young and, and are even wondering what we're talking about, in, in 1990, uh, the Brady Bunch came back as a series, an hour-long sort of a dramedy on CBS after they'd had a big Christmas movie that had done really well. So it became a new show again called The Brady's. And yeah, you were you were Mrs. Bobby Brady. Was, so it was fun. Was it weird coming into such an established cast? Like that, totally. or they made you feel welcome. Yeah, it was, and I kept calling Chris Knight Peter, <laughs> and I felt so bad. It's like, oh my god, I know, I know, I know you're. So, I'm so sorry, because you can't help it. You just look at them, and you just see Bobby, Peter, Greg, Marcia. It was, it was great. It was such a, it was a great experience because they were all so nice. They were all really welcoming, and and also really excited to have a new chance at TV. I mean. Mike Lickenland, a.k.a. Bobby. You know, he works in the TV industry in Salt Lake City. He's a cameraman, so he was like, you know, he had just been doing that, and all of a sudden they were like, hey, we're going to, you know, put the band back together, and he was like, cool, so I'll come back to Hollywood for a little bit. So it was really fun. It was it was fantastic. Thank you for asking about oh, that. Oh, and it, here's, here's how much I know about that show. I remember that uh, Cindy played a radio DJ at that point. So, did, did oh you, my God, you're yeah. right. Did, did you give her pointers on how to be how to be a DJ or now, VJ? Now that you mention it, I think that I think that she and Ken Ober did a morning show on KLSX for a while. Yeah, so she became an actual DJ too for a while. Um, no, I don't think I was ever on the set during those radio pieces. I don't remember, but I, I do remember she was a DJ. That was great. You weren't yelling, cut, uh, do it this way. This is how you're supposed to intro a record? Yeah. No, I think I was starting a catering business with Greg's wife. <laughs> yeah. Not in real life, on the show. Not in real life. But, um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Well, that's great. Uh, what a, a pleasure to speak with you here on the podcast uh, this morning, Martha. As you uh, as you uh, embark on this new uh, new adventure, uh, which everyone uh, still loves you for for giving us '80s music and, and all these years later, that's what you're you're doing again here on um, iHeart '80s on the iHeart app and uh, in San Francisco. If you're listening uh, on FM, it's a 103.7 FM. Just launched uh, June 6th. Is is mornings going to be an issue for you, uh, Martha? Getting up early to do no. is it six. I've been getting up early in the morning to make my kids breakfast. I'm always up early, so I think it'll be fine. And I've got a fantastic producer, Christy James. I, I mentioned her earlier, but I just wanted to give her another shout-out. She's so awesome. and it's just It's been a great team, and I'm really, really excited, and I just feel so lucky. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me about it. Martha Quinn, thank you so much for coming on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Thank you, guys. Look at that, look at that.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.